This morning we're in 1 Samuel chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. And the Bible tells us this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you They have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Who is the king that you are serving? Who is the king that you are doing the bidding for? Because first and foremost, when I look at this passage, we have to recognize that there is no kingdom without a king. Verse 7 of the passage basically says, that, And the Lord told him, listen to all the people and what they're saying to you. It is not you have rejected, but they have rejected me As their king. So you have the people of God, the Israelites, who thought they knew best. They didn't want God to continue writing their story. They wanted to be able to write their own story. And as they peered out of their humble dwellings, they looked at sister nations and other people around them. And they saw that other nations had kings. Other nations had warriors that would go before them. Other nations had kings that would go into battle and would deliver them from their adversaries. But Israel had no king in the flesh, so to speak. Israel had a box. Israel had a box that contained the Spirit of God that had led them triumphantly. They had God in a box, so to speak. But Israel wanted more. Israel wanted more than what God had given them. What God had given them was not enough. How many of us have ever been in that situation? We always want more. If God blesses us with X, we want X plus something else. We always desire to have more and more and more. Israel wanted a king. Israel had rejected God as king. And they wanted an ordinary man to be their leader. They rejected God and his leadership for someone else. They had continually forsaken God and it continually served God. Other gods, as the Bible tells us. And you and I who sit comfortably not having to deal with the news flashes of kings and kingdoms and territories being taken over. Although if you do watch the news, we don't call them kings, but there's still territories being taken over every day. You and I speak of kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and how we want to be a part of that kingdom. We want to enjoy the bounty of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, yet we fail to allow God to be the reigning king of our lives. We are just like the Israelites in many respects. We are like the Israelites because salvation had come to many of them. They were the recipients of God's love. They were the recipients of God's grace. They were recipients of God's bounty and his provision. But you and I, likewise, who are recipients of these things, many of us live kingless lives expecting to have 
kingdom benefits. There is no kingdom without a king. And if you are the king of your kingdom, what a small kingdom it will be. If you and I really want to gauge into or engage into a relationship with God, if we really are serious about having the blessings of the kingdom of God, then he must be our king, not seasonal commitment, not what I've said many times from this stage, that we have this kind of Christer mentality. We show up, we make Jesus king on Christmas and Easter, and the rest of the year... He's out the window. You and I must be consistent in our fellowship of him. Make no mistake, each one of us is controlled by a king. It's just a matter of which king we're going to give credence to. Which king will be the object of our worship. Which kingdom you and I want to inherit. But if you look at the Israelites... The desire to be like everyone else, which many of us also struggle with. If we didn't struggle with it, we wouldn't go out and try to buy the latest fashions to match up to everybody else. We wouldn't jump through the certain hoops that the world has said are important. We wouldn't try to live the American dream that we've been told is the way we should live. And as I've said before, the American dream for you and God's dream for you are mutually exclusive. God doesn't want you just to be happy. I know some of us have bought into that concept that God wants you to be happy. No, God doesn't want us to be happy. God wants us to be faithful. God is not interested in my happiness or your happiness. He is interested in having us to experience the joy that only He can provide. Happiness is temporal. Joy is eternal. The desire to be like everyone else is really ultimately a desire To live without God. If you look in verse 20 of the passage. It says. Then we will be like all the other nations. With a king to lead us. And to go out before us. And fight our battles. You hear what they're saying. They're wanting to get rid of this God. Who has led them courageously. And go with someone else. Why? Because they want to be like everyone else. The desire to fit in. Is a desire to leave God. God does not want you to fit in. God wants you to stick out like a sore thumb. I used to get so upset over the fact, I just want to fit in. I just want to be like everybody else. Guess what? I'm not. And you know that. I'm not like everybody else. I am an oddball. And it's taken me almost two decades to embrace that. I used to want to be like this person. I want to be that person. No. God doesn't want you to be like anybody else. God wants you to be you But you to be you with him as your king. And if he is your king, you're going to be weird. Because you're not going to fit in. You're not going to fit into the world. I was sitting the other night in a hotel in Atlanta. And I took uh, uh, Abigail and and, and Tabby had, had, had stayed in the room and gone to bed. And I told Anderson, I said, you want to go downstairs? They've got a jazz band playing tonight. He said, sure. So we go downstairs and we're sitting there. And uh, of course the jazz band's playing and all these people say, I've lived a very sheltered life. I'm not used to seeing people in cocktail dr- uh, dresses and all these things. And so I'm there in the kind of in the, in the dining area of the hotel. And Anderson and I are sitting there watching. And it just dawned on me as, as I looked around the room. I was like, I wonder how many of these people are going to be 
in worship at some point this weekend. I wonder how many may go to a Saturday night service or perhaps go to a Sunday service. And then I started to pay attention. I love, I, I've started to love watching people and how they interact. And, and you, you watch people as they try to hit it off with one another and try to make passes and, you know, kind of do the ubby-lubby kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, this is probably not the best place for my son and I to be sitting. And so... Uh, as we were sitting in the hotel uh, and Anderson, I, I took a picture of Anderson because Anderson was, of course, focused solely on the saxophone. Like uh, He was like, this music's awesome. Dad was like, just keep watching the music. That's awesome. Just keep, keep playing attention to the music. Because I was sitting there and taking it all in. I was like, you know, we live in a world, for all practical purposes, everybody in that room looked like they had their life together. You know, when you go out for a fun time, a night on the town... Everybody looks like they have their life together. But I'm willing to bet you that if I had sent Anderson upstairs with, of course, someone from the hotel to escort him because I'd never let my child alone. If I'd sent him back up to the room and if I'd had the chance to go to the bar and sit down at the bar and listen to some of the stories of some of those people sitting at the bar or sitting at the tables around the bar or sitting around that dining area, I bet you it wouldn't have taken me long to really have heard someone's story. I've sensed someone's brokenness. You and I, in a desire to fit in, we will put on all kinds of clothes. We will, put all, we, will, we will run through all the hoops that we need to to make sure that we don't stick out because we don't want anyone to notice what's really here. We don't want anyone to see what's really in here. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We don't want to see what's in here. And it has to do with the heart. We're afraid of what we might experience. The Israelites were afraid of what this relationship, this covenant relationship with God, what journeys it was going to take them to. They desired to be like everyone else because that was what was popular. But ultimately that desire was to live Without the God who had provided for them. The Israelites wanted a king that would quote. Lead them into battle and fight their battles. If you look at verse 20. They had forgotten all that God had done for them. They had forgotten how God had delivered them from the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 14 verse 14. The God who had delivered them from the Egyptians. The God who had gone before them. The God that was fighting for them. They had forgotten how the Lord had provided when they needed food in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16 verse 15. God provided their need. They had forgotten how God through the person of Joshua had delivered victory to them at the battle of Jericho. And if you go back and you read the story of the battle of Jericho, the battle of Jericho was not won because there was a great army. The battle of Jericho was not won because there was artillery or tanks or weapons of mass destruction. The reason that the Israelites won at the battle of Jericho is that they listened to the anointed one of God who was Joshua, who was in tune with the Father, who was in tune with the Spirit of God. And as a result of listening to Him, and allowing God to come forth and fight the battle. The walls of Jericho came down. See, their God was an odd God. Because their God didn't respond 
like other gods. Their God required them to practice faith. To trust even when the odds were stacked against them. Their God required them to believe even when everything in the fiber of their being said don't believe. Their God asked them to simply trust because their God had never failed them before. But they had forgotten that. They had forgotten that in Joshua chapter 12 verses 9 through 24... As it talks about the greatness of God. That every time God went into battle, they won. In fact, 31 kingdoms were conquered. 31 kings were destroyed as a result of God going in for his people. And the people trusting God. And here's here's what we need to know behind the scenes. That when you and I acquire a king, we acquire a kingdom. 31 different kings have been dethroned. So 31 times the Israelites had gained kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. All because they were willing to allow God to write their story. And they were willing to respond in faith. When you acquire a king, you acquire a kingdom. When you acquire a kingdom, you become king. God acquired the kingdoms. God had paid his dues. God had led them to be victorious. God had dethroned 31 different principalities. So I ask you, who should have been king? The God who delivered. The God that dethroned the kings. The God who acquired the kingdoms. But the Israelites had forgotten All that God had done. They had forgotten all of his blessings. They had forgotten all of his provisions. And so I just simply want to ask this today. Have we forgotten all that God has done for us? I want you to think. What have you been able. What have we been able to conquer. As a result of what God has done through us, What have we been able to be delivered from as a result of what God and how he has moved in our lives? And when you look and you see the king that the Israelites picked, yes, Saul was impressive. And they thought they were getting God's best. Let me tell you something. God's best was not Saul. God's best was God. God's best for you is not anybody but Him. God's best for you is the Lord that delivers, the Lord that provides, the Lord who has answered your prayers, the God who has been there the whole running distance of your life. God gave Himself to the people and He was rejected. But never forget... That at one point, God was favored. There were no complaints when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. There were no complaints when they followed God. Now, once they got out of Egypt and they got in the wilderness and things weren't as like, they weren't experiencing the the plush lifestyle that they had hoped for, then they began grumbling and complaining to Moses. But they were all about God working. Get that Pharaoh. Send those plagues against Pharaoh. Let's get, let, let's get out of here. 
God was favored in those moments. God was favored when he provided manna for them. God was favored when he allowed the children of Israel through the work of Joshua to go into the promised land. To finally be in the land of prosperity, of milk and honey. To have the abundant life that God had promised. Because God said, I will give you a land. I will show you. I will take you to a place. And the interesting thing is, whether we're talking about the Israelites or we're talking about Christians of the first century, the followers of the way of the first century, or whether we're talking about Christians today, there's at some point in our lives where God is favored. And as Jesus came in on a donkey, he was favored, only to be rejected five days later. What happened in that sequence of time? What happened in those hours that turned into days? I can tell you one thing. People stopped listening to God and started listening to other people. People were swayed by a sociological phenomenon, a group phenomenon. People were swayed by the popular opinion. People were swayed by the fact that they were fearful that they might lose their lives if they even accredited their life to him. And so the very ones that at once were so excited about this God whom they were serving and worshiping and seeing causing healing and whatnot, the same one that same God that was favored then became the impetus, became the object, the object of their scorn. So I just simply want to ask today, have we rejected God's provision for our lives. So it's so easy to sit here 2,000 years later and say, "Ha! Huh, if I would have been there, I would have been different. I would not have been like Peter. I would not have denied him. I would have been right there. Then why don't you do it now? Because it demands too much of our lives. Because it costs us too much To be odd for the sake of the gospel. But let me tell you this ladies and gentlemen. Embrace your oddity. Because in the end. It's not going to matter whether Jerry Harper liked the way I dressed. Or liked what I said. Or if it's not going to matter to me. Whether John Bunn likes the flavor of coffee that I drink. It's not going to matter whether Susan Duggar thought that I should have said this or should have said that. It doesn't matter how weird you think I am. Or how in vogue you think I am. Or how whatever you think I am. Doesn't even matter what my wife thinks of me in the end. But it will matter to the Lord who called you. The Lord who walked in with hosannas. The Lord who prayed in the garden that God's will would be done. The Lord who went to the cross for you and for me. It will matter to him. It will matter to you in that moment. When our story is finished. When the pen gets laid down. And when our lives on this earth are over. When the trumpet sounds and time will reign no more. When the roll is called up yonder, we want to be there. But if you want to be there when the roll is called up yonder, you better be present when God's calling comes down here. So I ask you, who is your king? Who is leading your life? What kingdom are you serving?
This invitation is about you. This invitation is about your walk. This invitation is about your story. How good is life going for you if you're doing it without God? You may say, it's going great. I, don't, I haven't really needed him. Get ready. Get ready. Because life will throw curveballs that you've never imagined. And, and make no mistake, you, your life will be shaken to its very foundations at some point, at some time, at some place. And I'll tell you, when your foundations get shaken, it's so much better when you can crawl into the lap of the Father rather than dying in the wilderness. Some of you have been in the wilderness. Some of you are troubled. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are fearful. Some of you are worried. And what I, I, just peace to you. God's not finished with you. God wants you to respond to him. He wants you to pursue him. He wants to be the Lord over your life. He wants to be your king. He's already king whether he's yours or not. But he wants to be yours. He's interested in your choice. He's interested in your decision. Are you interested in him? He'll give you the life not that you've always wanted, but he will give you the life that you have always needed that you never knew that you needed before. Will I say that he's going to fix every aspect of your life? That everything's going to be hunky-dory? There's going to be a bunch of rose petals and nice bubbly champagne? No, because we're Baptists. We can't talk about champagne. He won't give you all the things that you imagine that would make your life great. He's going to give you what you need that will make your life greater than you ever imagined. He's not going to fix everything. Why? Because if he fixed everything and he gave you the keys to the kingdom... He wouldn't need to be your king. He's going to give you daily bread to trust in him. He's going to give you, allow you to go through daily circumstances and problems where you're going to have to trust in him when you can't trust anybody else. And sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be confronted with a city like Jericho that's walled up and it stands between you and God's blessing and you're going to try to fight it every step of the way with what you know how. And I'm just going to simply tell you, save you a lot of heartache and problems Trust him because he may just have you do something crazy and odd in the eyes of the people. He may ask you to walk around it seven times for seven days and then scream at the top of your lungs like an idiot. And the walls will come down. Why? Not because your voice is great. Not because you're great. But because the God that we serve is greater than our greatest need. And the God that we serve is greater than our emptiness. God delivers every single time. You can't show me a passage in Scripture that will illustrate the fact that God did not provide people their needs. He didn't provide their wants, but He provided their needs. Who's your king? You were created for more. This is the invitation. If you're here this morning and you never trust in Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, it's a perfect day for you to sing loud Hosanna. Maybe you've been down this story before, you've, you've walked this aisle before, you've prayed a prayer before, and you say, but you know what, if I died today, I don't know whether I would be, I don't know if I'm a, I don't know if I'm a subject in God's kingdom. I, I don't really know if I'm a child of the king. I've been dabbling in other areas, I've worshipped other kings, I've ventured to other kingdoms, I've done things that honestly should have never been a part of the kingdom of God. See, God's great because his kingdom allows you to do U-turns. And you don't have to go back the way you came. He allows shortcuts straight to him. You don't have to go back and live through all the heartache again. 
He allows you to go from where you are to where he wants you to be without reliving the horror of where you've been. He can forgive you. He can heal you. He can set you free. And he comes to you today and he says, will you have me as king? Will you make me Lord of your life? Will you surrender your heart, your motivations, your desires, everything that you've yearned and longed for? Will you just hand over the whole outfit to me? And I promise that I will not leave you. I promise to save you. I promise to provide for you. And I promise that you will never go hungry or thirsty again. That's Jesus' invitation at the table. Come, come and dine with the king. That's the invitation, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I would love, I'm convinced the Holy Spirit's led me. This is the place that I want to join. This is the place I want to call home. This is the place I want to put my roots. If that's God's call in your life, we would love to have you become an integral part of First Baptist Church. But first and foremost, He needs to be our King completely. He's either King over all or He's not King at all. Our decision, your choice, our time. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time that we come in, a time to respond as you invite us to join you. To invite invite us to join you at a table to dine with the king. The ruler of the universe, the ruler has the potential to change our lives. Lord, for so many of us, we're tired of writing our story. We need you to take over. We need you to begin writing our story. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can come to you just as we are. Lord, we lay down our ambitions. We lay down our desires. And we say today, God, I want you to be in control. Be with us as we respond. Be with us as we sing. Because, God, you paid it all. You paid it all through the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we celebrate this week. That's who we remember this week the Lord and Savior of our lives, the King of our kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're here today, you need to trust in Christ, maybe for the first time. You need to recommit yourself to Him. This altar's open. You want to join and become a part of our fellowship here at First Baptist Church. However God is leading you to respond, you respond with this in mind. God is the King of my kingdom. And I want to make sure that people know Who's my Savior and who's my Lord? Who is in the pilot seat of my plane? He's leading, he's guiding, he's directing. Won't you come as we sing? Won't you come as we respond?